Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to the first 9320 exclusive powered by our partners at City Extra. We have an exclusive interview today. I'm delighted to be joined by a man who was at Manchester City over a 16 year span from the age of just 10 years old, during many of the most interesting years in the club's history. Uh, making 95 appearances for the club before moving on to spend six years at QPR before moving to his current club, Real Salt Lake in the MLS. Uh, hello, good morning to Nedum Anua. Hey man, how are you? Yeah, not bad. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm just, very good. Just saying off air, it's, is it half seven uh, where you mm. are today? Yes, yes it is. Yes so. it is. But it's, it's, good to, it's good to be speaking to a Mancunian accent. So it's all good. <laughs> I'm never sure if I've got one or not. I've not got the full Gallagher one, that's for sure, anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I say as a family man, half seven is probably uh, pretty Just late for you. Yeah. Listen, I've usually been up for about an hour by now, so yeah, this <laughs> oh, is my. no problem at all. Uh, can we start with last night? Am I right in saying uh, a nice 4-1 victory? That is correct, yeah, in the, in the Rocky Mountain Cup. You know, they call it our derby, but it's an hour and a half flight away. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a good game to win and good to be back. So that was Colorado, yeah. For that's one. right, yeah. Uh, was that? Right. Am I right? So that's your first game then in five months or so. Is it? It's just under six months, yeah. So I played wow. the first two games of um, the first two games of the season. Then there was a shutdown. Then I didn't go to the MLS's back tournament thing, whatever that was. And now I'm, I'm back in the mix, yeah. And interestingly, as well. So our stadium's at um, five thousand feet, <laughs> and this is the one. But Colorado's is the only one which is higher. So it was fun to come back to the only place that you can go to in all of America to play a game, which, which is actually harder than when you play yourself. I'm always doing the quiz question on Twitter that England's highest ground is uh, West Brom. But I'm guessing that that's not quite 5,000. No, <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Really. How, does that, how much more difficult does that make playing then? Obviously, oxygen just, levels and all that. I think it depends where you're coming from. Like, uh, So I've been at the club for basically two years now. And uh, when I first came over, I was not on trial, but I had two, three training days here just to see it and so on. And I was coming from sea level. And then all of a sudden you're at 5,000 feet, it's 30 something degrees and you've got to go and just do a normal training session. And it just gets you just when you need the air the most, like it's mm. not there and it's something you have to overcome, but it's, uh, it's all good. Well, obviously with things going on in the world everywhere, uh, in England, new season will be with us soon. What's the situation in America league wise and, is it just where are you in the season and what's the plans for the future and fans? Do you even know yet? Or is it is there a lot still up in the air? There's there's a lot still up in the air, but like the one of the things with this league is that they are very, very flexible. At times it's a good thing, at other times it's, it's very much a bad thing. But um ultimately like we have six games in this first block and then uh, they're gonna announce some more fixtures for stage two, hopefully. But at the same time, the uh, the Canadian teams aren't allowed to uh to cross the border to yeah. you know to play games and stuff like that, so they're currently just playing each other just over and over and over. But it's it is, it is what it is, you know. They'll they'll figure it out and things will and things will be all right. But it's just you just don't know what's what's coming next. Yeah, I'm guessing the Canadian sides don't want to go over the border. Well, listen, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But, we're, uh, we're not yeah. doing politics now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean it is. It's a very strange time, but I guess it's a waiting game for a lot of you. Did it feel good though to be back out on that pitch? Yeah, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Yeah, like it is crazy that the fact it has almost been six months, but then this is me continuing the same season. You know what I mean? But 
yeah, it's, it was it was good to be back, good to be back with the teammates, and yeah, it was a, it was a good test, and always good to beat the um, air quotes local rival. <laughs> yeah, seventeen thousand miles away. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Not quite. So yeah, uh, right. Saying you were one 0 down at half time and one four one. Was that correct? Yeah. So that's, that's... what? Tell me about that inspired half time team talk then. It, to be honest, we weren't playing great in the first half, and then we kind of gave them a goal. So. The mentality was basically like, you know, we just need to clean up in the second half, and yeah. as a consequence, we'll do we'll do better. So we made it, made a couple of changes, made sure the mentality was right there, limited the mistakes, and then we did what we usually do, thankfully against Colorado, and just like just beat them up. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm going to come back to you know your current team and everything, but I thought it was all right to start at the beginning uh, with mm-hmm. your career because obviously just so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you, you joined City at 10 years old in 1996. No, I can just about remember what I was doing in 1996 after leaving <laughs> university. Do you remember a lot of that about joining them and those early years in the youth setup? Yeah, it was. Um, it was. Let me say this. Uh, it was different. It was very, very different. Yeah. So you know, you know what the club was like on a first team level back then. Yeah. And in terms of the academy and so on, like I think I was the last signing from when it t- went from a, sc- a school of excellence or center of excellence to uh, the an actual academy. So that's where we were at in that time. And then when we were then playing, you had big teams like United's, Liverpool's, Aston Villa's and all that. And they used to absolutely torture us, you know, in those early academy days. Like we were, we were trying, but we just weren't, we weren't there. But then the rise of the club coincided with like the rise of the academy as well. So by the time I was leaving the academy, like my team lost maybe four games in two years combined mm. you know so it was a far far different place but those early years like it was all about the Liverpools it was all about the United's even Blackburn's and stuff like that where were you based then the, was it training wise sorry was it my memory because um, obviously so, the facilities they seen were just a million miles away from oh uh, completely like to talk about back then, uh, this is for this is for Max who really know Manchester. Like when I first joined, we were training at the Armitage Centre. Also, we play at the oh Armitage Centre. Played down uh, school, yeah. Literally, or sometimes you'd be training um, at Platt Lane, and yeah. that was the same time that the first team were training at Platt Lane as well. Because I remember I used to be the guy who'd go and like wait for signatures after you know behind the fence after they're walking off the field and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. We were at Platt Lane, and the craziest thing about Platt Lane now, looking back, is the fact that we just shared it with just normal civilians anyway. Yeah. You know, you could be, you'd want to go in the the indoor bit or whatever, but you can't because it's just you know Dave from Stockport's down there training at the minute. You know, <laughs> so it's it was different. It was certainly different, but it yeah. was um, it was very grounded in character building. I remember when I used to read about you, uh, media coverage. Always used, you know, used to. Make a big thing. Obviously, you were quite speedy, and you had uh, you were an excellent runner. Is it true mm-hmm. what they said about the time that you you weren't absolutely sure you were going to be a footballer and athletics was an option, or was that were they over egging that when they mentioned? No, that? no, that's it's not over egg whatsoever. Like no. for, I was for the years uh, leading up to when I turned pro, I'd basically play football in the winter and do uh, athletics in the summer. Like that's literally that's all it was. That was yeah. the way that my year was was basically set up. And the only reason it stopped was because I went assigned full time with uh, the academy. But then the football season then started to run from July through to May, so there is no summer gap for you or such anymore. And especially at that time, because I think to be up near the top where I was previously, you now needed to invest time in training in the in the winter to get good for the summer for athletics. 
So, like I say, it, it just it. I didn't make a conscious choice to go one way or the other because, as well, when I, whatever I was doing, I just loved doing it more than I had a, like a massive desire to say this is all I'm going to try and go for. Yeah. You know, like I've been in the academy for however many years, and I just love playing with with my friends and my teammates and doing that thing there. But it was never. It was never like a, a truly conscious career path. It was just something which I loved doing. And f- as well with my parents, like if I wasn't doing well in school, I wasn't even allowed to do it. So when you have that type of tone set and mentality, yeah. set, you know, you can't put all your eggs in that basket because the fact is, as I say, school comes first. What, what, what were you? Was it 100 metres or? Yeah, 100 metres, yeah. I can't do 200, it's too far. Yeah. <laughs> too far? Yeah, yeah 100 metres, yeah. I can't do 100, but yeah. Obviously, football came calling, and I would say, was it about 17 that you broke into the team at first? And just an additional question, obviously, you're a defender. I know you've played at right-back a few times. Were you always a defender, did you feel, growing uh, up? Or were you one of those players that moved around the pitch and found your position? It's funny, actually. So, when I when I went on trial at City uh, in the academy, for the academy or whatever, I was actually a defender, but they put me up front. And then I signed and I scored five goals in my debut up front at the Armitage <laughs> Centre against yeah. Blackpool. So pretty much from under 10s through to under 15s, I'd say, slash 16s, I was playing as a striker for City, but I was playing as a defender for school. Um, so I was getting the best of both worlds come Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then uh, as a... As I got to the under 16, 17 seasons, when I became a full time defender uh, in the academy. And yeah, one thing led to another, and then here I am here. Also, point of order your research was good, but I played a hundred, <laughs> I played 115 games for City. Really? So, so, so I'm in the 100 club. You, looked at, you probably looked at Wikipedia and just. No, I looked at about four different places, and some wouldn't tell me. Yeah. And it was over yeah. it was over a hundred, yeah. It was over I, 100, I, I must apologize. Right, well good. I need to end this. I'm too listen, embarrassed. You, now. Listen, you can't take those games away from me, my friends. Try as you might. <laughs> I'm gonna edit that. No, I can't I'll yeah, wipe this out and redo the intro. No, no I looked no I, I looked on a number of sites because uh yeah. Well it's sun, it's Sunday, so why not do some research and yeah, yeah. I found ninety five and I found ninety six, but No no no, it's more than that, but don't worry about it. Yeah, that sometimes they only put league games in as well and not cup games. That's, so yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh so yeah, did you did it always feel like you were going to break into that side or and how obviously you uh, like saying you're a city fan as such. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So was... how how did it feel to break into that side? Um so for me it was it was great because uh so when I was ten I, I as I say, I was coming through, I was, I was playing in the academy. Then when I got to like 13, I was a ball boy. I was a ball boy in Division 2, you know what I mean, and then Division yeah. 1. So, you know, I saw that side of things at Main Road. Um, and then, as I say, I was collecting autographs. I, had, I was giving, getting programs from late 80s. Like I knew the ins and outs of the team from that perspective. So then as I got older and I was still doing well and I was one of the best players in my academy team, I was always playing years up and then all of a sudden it's like, well, come and train with, come and train with the under 19s as an under 17, come and train with the reserves, right? Come and train with the first team in preseason, these extra bodies mm. and being over there and seeing some of those people who I'd been like, you know, watching for however many years was, was like an incredible, um, it was an incredible feeling. And like, as I say, the first, I remember my very first game, I think it was Arsenal in the, um, my first start was Arsenal in the uh, League Cup. Yeah. 
And that was that was just an insane feeling. I still remember to this day the feeling of just standing on the field and just looking around and knowing where I used to sit in the stadium to watch games, knowing where I used to sit, where I sat when like the stadium opened with that game against Barcelona, watching Ronaldinho on that very field. But now I was I was there, and yeah. you know it doesn't. There's no guarantee of what's to come next, but that was such a big moment for me. And then even the game, I think it was the week before. Um, that was my foot was my first squad was uh, so we played in a reserve game on the Tuesday against against United and it was like a really hard fought game and it was at the uh, Athletic Stadium next to the main stadium yeah and I think the crowd was like a few thousand so it was a really big game and it was it was a proper Manchester derby but not like not like a pretty football Manchester derby like today it's like an old school Manchester derby like full battle all that stuff <laughs> from yesteryear. And I played quite well, finished the game. And then I got a call the next day from, I think either the next day or the day after. Oh, it was the next day from Chappie, uh, Les Chapman, the kit man, asking me, like, what number do I want to be? And I was thinking, <laughs> what, what's he even talking about? <laughs> uh, and he says, all right, okay, well, I'm going to give you 16 because he said you're in the squad for the weekend. Yeah. And that weekend was when we played Chelsea, this is 2004, where Nicholas Anelka scored a penalty. And that penalty you scored helped us win one 0 I believe, yeah. and that was Chelsea's only loss for the season. Yeah, which is nuts. <laughs> it was, yeah. And wow, I remember that. Actually. Yeah, sixteen years ago, I remember that penalty, mm-hmm. that game as well. They were an amazing side at the time. Yeah, so. for sure. So what ha- thereafter? Uh, were you were you getting into the squad most of the time? Uh, what was it like? This was under Keegan, all right. So. It was Ke- it was Kevin Keegan at the start, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how, so what was it like working for him? I mean, he's obviously just a bundle of energy and a man manager. Did was he good for you? Do you think? Yeah, he was. Kid? Yeah, he was. Yeah, because he was like a really nice guy, and he just wanted to. He wanted the best for you and all the other players, mm. you know. And he just he loved the game because obviously City at the time, like we were all right, but. Looking back now, to have someone like a Kevin Keegan there in that moment was actually like should you could argue it should never have really been a thing because maybe a Kevin Keegan type mentality and style of management would have made more sense later on in that period. Yeah, but he was there. He was there in that moment, and he was trying to get the players to play in a certain way, think in a certain way, and stuff like that. And it was it was great because I remember one game in preseason, someone played a channel ball and I was chasing it down, and someone was behind me, and I rolled it out for a throw in. And then I'll never forget like after the game, he said, you know. If you, you want to be a good player and I want you to be a really good player, like try and show more personality in that moment and get the ball and give it back to the goalkeeper so that we can maintain it, you know. And like stuff like that wouldn't be said based on man- like a manager who came in after that mm. because they don't care about that. But it's just, as I say, teaching you just the little things which can make a big difference. So was he, am I right saying he, he gave personal touch to all the players or a lot of the players? Yeah. Yeah, well, they it would much. take his time to... to- talk to people and put an arm around them and yeah for sure yeah. for sure yeah like he um to put it into perspective like um so nicholas and Elkia, so he's one of my favorite players i've ever played with yeah because even though he was a huge star especially in that moment for city he was one of the people who was closest to some of the young players yeah. uh, as we walk into that locker room it's the, you know this is a, this is our dressing this is like an old style like people built in the 70s type dressing room which can be quite aggressive but he was the type of person who would go and speak to every youngster that would come through and this is someone who you know was getting the nickname Les Sulk and all that yeah. nonsense but the people who could manage him the best who I saw managing the best at that time was 
was Kevin Keegan. Mm. Because regardless of, you know, whatever they had a disagreement about this, that and the other, you know, Nicholas kept playing. Like Nicholas Anelka was playing for Man City in a time when we had nothing. Yeah. You know, how how does that happen if you don't have a manager who, who believes in you? And he, yeah, and well, saying Anelka just we were I don't think we realised at the time how lucky we were to have him in no, the club. No. He's such a class player. So yeah, he was sure. never really a problem. Is that is that no. the sulk thing is just because he doesn't smile when scoring a goal basically <laughs> seems to be <laughs> Essentially, but that, that's the whole like debate about perception and so on. But yeah. I think if you were to go around to all the places that he's played at and ask players who he's played with about what they thought of him, there'd be very few, if any at all, who would have a critical word to say about him, yeah. about him and his personality. But still, it was his personality which was attacked the most by, say, the media and stuff like that. But it's just, it's like, he's, for me, he does, he does his own thing. He's, he's very unique, but he never tries to take anything away from his teammates which seems like a simple thing, but I guarantee you that that isn't necessarily the case with all the players I've played with. Yeah. Uh, and right, I say Kevin Keegan actually played you at right back for quite a few games. Was that, yeah, did you? It was a lot, yeah. Was that he's, something he's, you felt comfortable or was it just as normal to you as playing no, in the it's, middle? It's a, it's a very different position, but he wanted to do it so that I'd get better on the ball, but then also right. he wanted to try and get me in the team. And, you know, like I appreciate him doing that in that moment. And for me, that first year when I came in, I was so fortunate because to my left of me, I had Richard Dunn and Sylvain Destan. And in front of me, I had Sean Wright Phillips, which we are having the best se- best uh, season of his career. So in terms of an integration, yeah. like, to play in that position as well. Like I didn't, I was learning on the job, but I had such a great setup around me that it was easy to succeed, if you know what I mean. Because you were always covered and the job in terms of going forward, you, all you had to do in that year, 20, 2004, 2005, was literally just give it to Sean Wright and then just go support him from behind. That's yeah. all it was. Like, it's just it was so for, so fortunate. And I could spend about eight hours asking about individual players, but you've just mentioned one. I mean, Sean Wright Phillips, obviously a hero, man. You know, one of my favourite players. Mm-hmm. But another one, I think we're lucky. Was Sylvan Distan as good? Was he as underrated as I think he is? It depends I, who. I think dep- I don't think he got an international cap for his. No, it's bizarre. Uh, but it, was he as good as you know? I think he was at that time as well. Yeah, so Sylvan was top. Like him and Richard Dunn. Like, yeah. without even batting an eyelid, I'd say those two as a combination are amongst the best of City centre backs that I've seen in the last twenty, thirty years. No questions asked. Yeah, like literally no questions asked because they they were just so tough. Again, they were great teammates and they were so reliable. Like Richard Dunn could have his shin hanging off on Friday. <laughs> but he's going out and playing on Saturday and yeah. he's having a great game as well. You know, they're, they're the players and partnerships which who were underrated, but I guarantee nobody wanted to play against them, especially in those times there. But yeah, with Sylvan, he's similar to, like I spoke to Gail Cliche recently and I'm running through his accolades and so on and so forth and saying, well, how is it you've only played maybe 10 games for France? And then he proceeds to say, well, there was Patrice Evra and there was uh, Eric Abidal. And you're like, mm. well... I guess the French really have um, yeah. an abundance of riches in certain positions and, you know, as good as you are, it doesn't guarantee anything because as I say, they have so much depth. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, it wasn't going to last with Kevin Keegan, uh, perhaps over money, maybe the Robbie Fowler signing, who knows what's going on behind the scenes. Did you know at the time that, you know, there was trouble, so to speak, off the pitch? And No, I did not have a clue. Like, no. so many things in that. Uh, like I'm sure people, other people, kind of knew what was going on, but yeah. I was I was new to the team, 
you know, I was I was a part of the dressing room, but I wasn't the dressing room. So in terms of stuff that was going on, I wasn't exactly going to be there for the big meetings or big discussions or talking points. Because, mm. you know, I was still the same guy who was going to college on a on a Wednesday afternoon, you know what I mean? So um, it was, yeah, just stuff like that it came out of the blue. And then the, the news coverage is very different yeah, now compared to what it was then, you know? So it wasn't like 24-hour breaking news, this is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Like All that stuff was just about beginning, but it doesn't carry the same weight as it, as it does right now. Mm. So, yeah, it wasn't... I didn't, I didn't have a clue what was going on, really. Uh, Talking about things that are different, I was reading a Stephen Island piece. Um, was it Stephen Island? I know, in a, uh, on The Athletic. Yeah. About you as a youngster having your books burnt, your college books burnt. Yeah. In, uh, was it like a very machismo place still in the dressing room then or things change in that respect because I know the stories you've heard about initiations and all sorts yeah, of how young yeah. players are treated was it yeah. a bit unsettling is, or unsavory or, or you know was it just did you accept it this was how it was when the youngsters coming through well I think you accept it and to be honest I think some people have been brainwashed to the fact that they think that back then was the best time Yeah, but but they only think that because now like the change is so big that these days most of the power in the dressing room now exists with the younger players right you know whereas from back then it was an older players game like the average age most clubs was always was always higher like if you're a youngster you'd speak when you're spoken to yeah whereas now they just talk all the time and just talk about things which just don't they don't like me as a 33 34 year old now some of the conversations I hear in a dressing room, like it just couldn't be any less me. Like, what are we gonna do? We're gonna go, like, we're gonna go for a nap in the afternoon. But as a guy with, as a guy with three kids, it's it's like it's almost illegal to go for a nap when you have three kids. You know what I mean? Unless you just want to get a divorce. So, um, you, like, it's but the but there's like ten of them saying the same thing. Yeah. Whereas from back in the day, like you had more, you had more significant adults in there. Um, so yeah, it was. It was it was definitely different. Um, the initiations for some people, they weren't great. But then you know, for those guys, I, I think it's, I think it's pretty much all they knew, because say if they're, they're someone who's born in the seventies, like they're coming through in the early nineties, being hazed by people who were born in the sixties. So you can imagine how that would have gone. But thankfully, the world is in a is in a far better place. And then to be fair, even now as well, like looking back, when Arsene Wenger first went to Arsenal was when you start to see like a change in the football yeah. and culture. People say, oh, you know, don't maybe don't drink, maybe don't do this, maybe don't do that. Whereas now, you know, the mentality is completely different. You know, you have more 24-7 pros as opposed to back then where it was like training day, game day. Then after that, you're just a normal person. That's, I think Keegan says in the autobiography about the drinking side of stuff that yeah. and he mentions Wenger, I think. Did you notice in those early years a change in just English football and at this and at City, a change yeah. to like a more professionalism and like diet and that sort of thing, the exercise and the technology moving forward, I guess facilities. Did you it, say, was it then that you saw the change or did it come later it, at City? It came, I think it came a little bit later at City. To be honest, I think most of the scientific technological changes and stuff came with Mark Hughes because <clears throat> when he came in, he tried to. And to be fair, he did do. He changed the structure of, say, the training ground, uh, the way that you tested for stuff before games, after games, and made it to a point where it was scientific. And he put the point of emphasis on you in being a, not just a good player, but being a good professional and being a good athlete. Whereas previously, you know, you'd only ever be judged about, like, can you score a goal on the field? 
can you run on the field? But now he brought in measures which will provide longevity and more consistency. Because before that, like if someone like someone would happily let someone go drinking five days a week if they'd play well on a Saturday. But then that's the type of behavior which sort of curtails people's careers and never allows them to get to their absolute peak. You know what I mean? So yeah, all that stuff started to change around the Marquise type of uh, type of time. Right. So Kevin Keegan goes. Were you obviously he helped you make your breakthrough? Were you devastated at the time that he left the club. I just like honestly, as as a young guy, it's, it was just new to me. Like it's the first time I've had I've seen a coach leave yeah. that I've been involved in. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't even know how I don't even know how to react. <laughs> just, just taking things on a day to day basis, but. The guy who came in, who was Stuart Pierce, was already on the coaching staff anyway. Yeah. So you know there was, although there was a change, it was still quite familiar. Um, so with Kevin leaving, like I appreciated the fact that he gave me the opportunity, and I thought he was a great guy, and still do. But there's just I, I knew no different. Like you just carry on going. Like you don't worry too much about what's to come or blah 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 because you you have no I have no data or information to to like go off in terms of what would come next mm. it's just a case of just sit back and then let's see well I could easily skip over the Stuart Pierce years if you want <laughs> no no no, no. You, go, you go through those <laughs> no, go through those as a reminder no I well I sat in I think the North Stand was it I don't know if it's fire I mean obviously I just it's not a two year period that I remember a lot of because not a lot happened a lot of the time and there mm-hmm. wasn't a goal at my end of the stadium by either side not just City for about four months I think so yeah now, I, as, I remember it as a we're not going to talk I know you talked a few weeks ago uh, with David about uh, David James coming on as a goal with his own kit to go up front and all that madness but as a defender did you like the Stuart Pearce system or were you frustrated because I mean Obviously, City fans don't really take kindly to the Stuart Pearce here, but I know now, with hindsight, we had financial problems. There was no money there. Mm-hmm. It was what it was, and he kept us up in a way, but it was his style of play was not easy on the eye. How did it feel for you as a youngster playing you know, a defensive system like that? Didn't bother me at all because, again, like I, I knew no, I knew no different whatsoever. And just to be out there playing was was a massive positive. And we did still have players in the team like a Sean Wright Phillips who could just go and do something. You know what I mean? Like, and when you have that, like you you're not really as aware of this like the playing style. And then also back then, a, like a playing style isn't as as big a conversation for City as it yeah. is now. You know, like we go into games now thinking, I wonder if Pep's going to play three or four, a four two two two, or like a four. Two, three, one. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But back then, it's more traditional four-four-two time. You know what I mean. So, like with that, the playing style and formations and stuff just didn't matter as much. So, as I say, I almost feel like we're judging it based on how we feel today, as opposed to how we felt back then. Because there were very few teams that I can remember where you'd go and watch them and think, "Oh, this is a great footballing team." Because that was never a point of emphasis. You know, you had Arsenal's and stuff like that, but overall, it wasn't that big a deal like I think Liverpool just um, what's it, just got Rafa Benitez or something so mm-hmm. they were just changing their style but as I said before then it's very much a traditional old English style league and old English style in terms of the way teams played yeah I mean well what did Freeman away was he came after Keegan of course who only yeah 
who had one way of playing and that was attacking football so yeah, coming yeah, then sure. it, it, it was more stark the defensive style of football mm-hmm. but it did keep us going when uh, you know before no one knew what was coming but uh. yeah literally uh, like, <laughs> like you, you referenced it before I remember the year like you say where we, we I think we scored 10 goals at home all season yeah. and the last goal we scored I think it was a Georgia Samaras penalty against Everton which I think was on the field for and then like nothing literally nothing and it's crazy to think that we actually stayed up that year mm. not scoring a goal for three, four months at home. I know. Which but, is insane. So Beanie the toy horse did not inspire you to oh go to heights then. No. Oh my goodness <laughs> gracious me. Honestly, looking looking back now, like obviously you played me and so on, I don't and I appreciate that. But some of the stuff which was happening and the way that it was with certain issues things just in football could have just been so different like so so different but still you know here we are we're enjoying ourselves well yeah to be fair it was his daughter's idea Chelsea I think who said put this on the side and you'll win and they did then you drew away Everton I think which was considered a good result because until recently we've not had a good record there so but Mm. this superstition not a thing anyway with tons of players so yeah it is but like and just people in, in general in life, but the way that I view that is that I'll never tell them they're wrong. But, yeah. like, it's how many times has your superstition let you down, yet still you persist with it? Oh, yes. Like, it's so, like, it's so illogical. People, I'm seeing people pulling up their socks a certain way, tying their boots a certain way, then we'll go out, get hammered, and then come the next game, they're doing the same thing again. And I'm like, all right, this, fair enough. You, if this is what you want to do, then you do it. Like, I won't judge you for it. <laughs> But just on the surface, you look like a very crazy person. Yeah, well, I go through the same turnstile every time before. Oh, so. my goodness. I mean, it's, dr- it's rubbish. It's rubbish. It I've seen nothing. us lose huge games after doing that. Yeah, I still do it. I just, yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Mm. As if a fan as well can... Uh, I can see it from a player, it, yeah. a player because the state of mind, if you think it's helping you, you play better. But for mm-hmm. a fan to be uh, <laughs> affecting the results is, yeah, is really wild. crazy. So. But talking to crazy, we're about, I think, a year or, well, 15 months of the club's history that will never be matched for absolutely insanity, really. Uh, mm-hmm. So thanks in Shinawatra takes over, we all have a free curry in uh, Albert Square, which is nice mm-hmm. of him, and he sang Blue Moon, I think, from the Town mm-hmm. Hall balcony, which mm-hmm. is one of the more bizarre evenings, having watched, I think, the Thomas Cook Trophy defeat to... Uh, Valencia was it? And David Silver scored for them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, long time ago. Uh, yeah. Now it dawned over that year who this person was that was taken over from. Yeah, you know, and uh, wasn't the person we thought he was. Nor did he have the funds. Again, mm. you're a bit older now. You're, you know, you're in the team. Are you still just thinking about football during this year under Sven, or do you know that this is a very weird time in the club's history? Well, I knew it was a different time, a different time because they, for as much as looking back, he didn't have funds and he was yeah. doing whatever he was doing. He was still bringing in, he brought in a different type of player. Do you know? So based on who we were bringing in, say in years gone by, I think that was the year when we brought in like Bojanov, um, Choluka maybe and stuff like that. And Ilano, yeah. Ilano, yeah. So if you think about it, like that as I say that's a different tier of player to who we would bring in previously mm. like with all due respect um, say Bernardo Carardi or I forget what the, the Italian striker was called like they weren't players Bianchi. who Sven yeah, yeah Rando Bianchi yeah. yeah they weren't players who Sven would have been looking to bring in 
mm. the you know the year after they were there at City and whatever. So things were things were changing. There was a belief that there was going to be success, and I think for the first few games of the season we were winning. But then I'll never forget we wore this. Um, I think was it? I think it was on this phone. We wore this all black Sergio Tashini um, tracksuit <laughs> to go and play Chelsea away, like yeah. shiny thing it was. And then and it, people saying, "Oh, City, they stepped up. They've got Sven. They're doing well." I think we got absolutely battered in that game, maybe six something, six nil or something. And then it was like, "Right, okay, we're uh, we're back to being City now." But yeah. the belief before that, and that, this is from the outside as well, is like City, the. They're this new team. They've, you know, they've turned the corner. They're this, they're that, and no. So even we did have the changing player, but the the mentality switch wasn't fully there. It was slightly there. Yeah. Yeah. Season of two halves. I think they won the first three. Won the derby. Mm-hmm. I thought Bojanov was going to be a, a world star, but and then I think he did his cruise shirt, Was it? Or he did. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Literally, like maybe one or two games in as well, yeah. which is a shame. Yeah. No, yeah. Never really saw him again. So, mm. what was uh, Svenko and Ericsson find a, a strange one? Well, not a strange person, but I'd, yeah, hard to judge him. He was like got this womanizer and mm-hmm. calm, sophisticated air about him. Is he like that in the dressing yeah. room, or is he a completely different person? And, uh, no, he's, he's exactly like that. And one thing that players like about Sven is the fact that he is like a player's coach. Right. So he will obviously have his ideas in terms of tactics, and he's got his like, he's got his stories of where he's where he's coached before, success stories, and so on and so forth. But everything that he tries to do is to try and get the workforce to be as motivated as possible going out to any game that they play in. And that's not necessarily the case for all managers. Like yeah. he, every, he would always try. Like we can, we can debate as much as we want whether a manager should be stern this that and the other blah 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 but for any coach if they're not this isn't to say this is fan but if any coach is lacking in say a technical mouse or something like that all you have to do is motivate the players and they'll they'll run through a brick wall for you mm. even if they don't agree with the tactics and you're more likely to find success that way than to you know have the best tactics in the world and have players who don't want to play for you so Sven like I say he had his ideas he wanted to play nice attacking football he had Alano had Giovanni players like this who were really, really, um, you know, special talents, and the workforce was motivated because they he had their back. So like it was, it was, it was like it's a lot of fun. And this guy, such like the womanizer part of it, you think he's a big, he was a big star over here. We went to Sweden for preseason and we got to the training ground, and then it's like, oh, go get a drink of water. There's like a crate of water bottles always Sven's face on them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's how big a deal he was in that space. Like literally crates of water with his own face on the bottles. You're drinking Sven and it tasted so pure as well. But yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, so, needless to say, you you enjoyed playing under him, even if it was just for a year. Yeah, he was. He was. Sven was a really good guy, and I think yeah. the players who these two we brought in that year, they were good people as well. And obviously, it didn't work out the way that he essentially wanted to. But it that was the first time in my city career where the club was looking up instead of just like staying mm. where they were and looking down. And, you know, as I say, the season definitely fizzled out. But, like, at times it was as exciting as it has been, like beating United and stuff so early in the season, you know. Those those are big moments looking back at City's history now. Yeah, so you weren't on... Well, it was a facilitator the end, you know, actually, for what followed. Yeah, you weren't You weren't on the end of season tour to Thailand, were you? No, I was not, no. 
I was also yes. just to just to just to separate myself from disasters. I also wasn't <laughs> I wasn't uh, in the squad for that game against Middlesbrough last game of the season uh, when it was like eight one. So yeah, that was. I mean, obviously City. All City had to do. The result was irrelevant. They just had to not get players sent off because they were getting to Europe in the fair play league. Yeah. So of course, was it Richard Dunn got sent off after yeah. ten minutes? But embarrassing as it was, City made it into Europe, so it was a Co- ca- kind of a and correct. correct. And and like United's goal in the five one in eighty nine, I think. Mm. I was going to say City at least scored the best goal of the game with Alano, <laughs> but they scored some classic uh, great goals yes, as well. They did, so. Yeah. So, yeah, so Sven's gone already, apparently, after being serenaded by a vaccine on karaoke in Thailand. Uh, well, just the weirdest of times, and it was probably just as well our chairman sold up as well. Now, yeah. I, everyone, of course, remembers the day that would follow at the end of that summer, mm-hmm. but only because I found out about it two hours before it happened. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that in the current yeah world of instant news did you anyone at the club know what was i mean i've read up i think i've done a blog about you know the first blog on our site was about this and i think it might be gary cook met did he play west i don't know west ham early in the season is that anyway mm. he had a meeting in the boardroom early in the season with them but no, you know, there was no news came out. Did anyone in the squad know anything about what was happening? I reckon, or? I reckon some people must have known, but yeah. the majority of us did not know. Like, for me, I, I found out about it whilst I was watching Sky Sports News. Like, that's that's literally how it happened, and that's, you know, something yeah. that's directly affecting me. But at times, I think as a player, unless you're someone that's really in with, say, the board or whatever, you're essentially just the same as a fan on the sideline. You catch the information as it comes out. Like, there mm. could be a fan that could leak news. And then all of a sudden, that's news to me, you know, instead of the other way around, where we have all the news and then it gets sent out to the press. Like, it's not, unfortunately, it's not about us, even though it is about us, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. So do you remember that day? Just, yeah. yeah. Just, just finished, we'd, just, we'd finished training, then um, I was at home. Just watching Sky Sports News as you do because it's deadline day, you know, the greatest yeah. day in the history of the world. And um, <laughs> and then, yeah, there it goes. Breaking news. Like, Man City have been taken over. Breaking news. Man City have signed Robinho. And I'm just sitting there like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. like, like, my phone's blowing up. And it's like an out-body experience because usually, like, big news and stuff like that is reserved for other teams. But this is now, like, I was watching Robinho on TV maybe the week before. And, you know, at this point, I don't think there's any, um, any like, apart from uh, the Chelsea Abramovich, there's no, like, massive money in the Premier League. Yeah. But all of a sudden, people are saying City are now the richest club in the world. And, you know, you have to pinch yourself because as a fan, like, you know yourself, you've seen where City were before, only maybe 10 years prior was Paul Dickoff scoring that goal at Wembley mm. in Division 2. And now, 10 years later, someone's telling you, with nothing to back it up that you've seen, that you are now the richest club in the world and that Robinho's coming to the club. And you're like, oh, right, okay, interesting. Do you, do you remember going to train the next day? I remember going in. It's just, it's a massive, everything was just a massive talking point. And yeah. I don't know, I don't remember if Robinho was there that day, but like, how you, it's weird. People... It's like you going, you waking up one day and someone telling you you're something else, even though you're the same person. Mm. Like you walk into the same training ground, see the same faces, but now you're the richest club in the world. Like how do you 
carry on like nothing else has changed but now that's that's where you're at how did you feel as a player though did were you was this good for you that they get good players in or did you feel your position might be threatened or nah, did you I, think I, well, did it feel positive for you that this was happening? It, it definitely it definitely felt positive but then i also knew i was one of the players who um was essentially like at risk on the fringes a little bit because mm. I, like the only time i had a significant time starting under mark hughes in the year when we were in the um europa league i think mm. But most of those starts came in the. I, play, I think I started every game in the second half of the season, pretty much. Right. But I wasn't necessarily there in the first half of the season. So, when whenever people were coming in, like previously with a Choluka or whatever, you can't help but say, "Well, they're bringing somebody in in the position which I play." Yeah. So you have to you have to wonder about it. And at the time, once City uh, were taken over, it doesn't feel that much of a threat in that moment, just because the window closed. Like if the window, <laughs> yeah. if it happened at the start of the window. Then you start hearing, oh, City have been linked with like buying the whole Barcelona team or something. You know what I mean? Like it'd be, it'd be a weird one. But as a as a human being, you can't help but wonder about who's to bring in, who's to who's going to come in. And then when you see it's in your position, you wonder about that as well because are they bringing them in to be a backup? Well, why would they when they spend the amount of money that they do spend on somebody? But I was always confident in my own ability, but I wasn't necessarily confident in in being in knowing that I will be selected. Which you know has ended up being a significant thing throughout my career because for every season I didn't start, I always finished it. You know, so they might have their doubts and whatever, but in the end, I always proved my worth, and you know, I'd, I'd end up playing. Well, so do you feel that you know, locked during your city time, you weren't given the opportunities to to get in the team? No, no I think I had. So I had some significant injuries that, like, yeah. not significant, not like big injuries, but I had injuries at bad times. And after your so, debut, I think there were Portsmouth, was it, in the league that you then picked up a two-month injury, was it? So yeah, there's, there's so many things like timing, that. And, yeah. Yeah, and thankfully, when I, as I got older, you know, I learned to sort of manage myself, manage my body in a better way to the point where if I do get injured, it's like a, it's like a week or something, but then they don't even come that often anyway. But back then, yeah, there was, I had a few, say, problems with injury. I was always, I was always the guy, if I wasn't, if I wasn't playing, I was always next in. Yeah. So I could never... I would never get sent out on loan or anything like that. I was never up for sale, like, because they just felt comfortable because, you know, maybe because I came through the academy, like I'm an easy, I'm an easy backup to somebody. But as I said, I'd always end up, I'd always end up playing, which, which was, which was good, but I wouldn't necessarily start every single game. And it is what it is. The game, you know, the game was different back then. And yeah, it's, it was disappointing. I didn't start more, but, in the same breath, you know, I played over 100 games for the team which I supported as a child, so I can't really grumble about it too much. And I think I, throughout, except for one manager, I played for, I played for, except for Mancini, I played for every other manager that was at, that was at Man City while I was there. So, you know, I, I had every confidence that I was good enough to be there. It's 96 appearances, actually, so don't want to put you right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, relax you. Uh, so you played for Marcus twice then, is that right? He was at QPR. That's right, yeah. He uh, was what was he like? Was he one of your favourite managers, would you say? Was he? Yeah, he, he was good because he, as I say, he brought in the elements of being a professional athlete, not just a footballer. Yeah. And it's stuff which, you know, will help longevity. Like I'm, th- I'm 33, 30, turning 34 soon and I feel great, you know. And that's based on the fact that, say, from when he came into charge at City, um, like he was teaching players about the stuff just on a day-to-day basis to give them the best opportunity to be able to perform, 
whether it's you know how you do a cool down when you do a cool down what type of foods you should be eating what type of what training week should look like like there's more there's more science going into what it was to be a professional in that moment and um yeah like i say like he i i enjoyed it like he again at the start of the season he wasn't playing the week in week out but i finished playing and he had every trust in me and this was the time when you know we were playing uh uefa cup two legs against hamburg quarterfinals of the uefa cup all that stuff like yeah. i was being selected for those big games and i'd like i was felt a significant part of it i don't know if it was i think that year maybe i was up for one of the top three or four for like play of the year or something yeah. like that you know so that was probably could argue that was probably my best year at city so that under him you know i think i just felt i was great and i was improving it's fair to say you don't have the best reputation with City fans. Mm. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just because once the takeover we expect you know, the best of the world. But the fact is we were leaking goals at the time. Yeah. The leaking goals, a lot of high-scoring games and a lot of draws. Mm. Uh, so he'd lose his job. Perhaps the owners were always looking to get rid of him anyway because new owners yeah. obviously want their own guy. Yeah. Was, he, was it hard... Is he hard done by to be viewed that way by City fans? Or I, th- I think potentially, but everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But yeah. I think when he lost his job, I was surprised because I think we maybe just won a game. Yeah. Um, uh, but like, I think one thing I saw across the years from being at City and being at QPR as well, when I had Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank as manager, like I think if people subconscious, I think if someone played for a rival and is now managing the team, mm. then they're immediately one step back. You know, like I think they just don't get warm to in the same way another person would. Yeah. Like you say, for example, you could really warm to overall to like a Sven as a person, yeah. even though results wise, they might not have been as good as a Marquis. But you think, you ask yourself like, why is that? Cause you could say, oh, maybe it's a personality or whatever. But then like there was more, there were more wins and better wins with Marquis with a better team. You get what I mean? But then also like when, when he was brought in, the club was in a different place. And then as soon as the money arrived, He's now in a situation where, like, everyone's talking about players, but they're also talking about managers, you know. And did they have a long-term plan for him to stay? You could. It appeared that they didn't. And yeah, yeah I think he, you know, he he worked hard at this club, and I give him credit for what he did at City and what he did at QPR because, as I say, he changed the infrastructure within the club, mm. like the from the way the gym was set up to the fact that training pitches had to be better, everything had to be better. He upped the overall standard at the football club, right. and you know the players who maybe didn't like him and this that and the other because he like he let them down, lied to them, saying maybe like a like a Joe Hart or like even with Micah and stuff like that. But the fact is, as I say, from an infrastructure standpoint, he was a significant change in terms of what City was beforehand. And before I move on, what was it like having Fabinho about the place? And another uh, another player who was obviously Brazilian stereotype, lazy. You know, it all comes out. Yeah, it's all that stuff. Is that all, all rubbish, that basically? I mean, no, I mean, no, no, it's, no, it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> but but it's it's just it's more it's more about your perspective towards it because he came from a different culture. Yeah, and that Brazilian culture is one whereby you just enjoy the game and play the game. Like he isn't. He's free. And he was there at the time when Mark Hughes was there and everything was structured. Every morning you'd be doing urine tests to check your hydration. You'd be doing like a little finger prick blood testing to see your recovery level and stuff like this. But that is like the the person who's into that is like the antithesis of what he is as a person. So it doesn't, it wouldn't work. Like he just wanted to get out on the field and play. 
but now on a day-to-day basis the demands were you have to do this you have to do that you have to get in the ice bath you have to do this and it wasn't it wasn't something that suited his personality Mm. but i promise you as soon as you touched that field he was outrageous (laughs) and especially there were certain times in training uh, well these were the tears so if alano and robinho were on the same team i guarantee you that team's gonna win like i guarantee it but then also around that time someone else who looked just as good in training was a daniel sturridge and then mm-hmm. surely, just after that as well, we'd probably say the next year was Stephen Island. Yeah. So if you start off with those first two, you can, like, it was outrageous. You just knew what was coming. Like, all the stuff Alana and Robinho were doing, I've never seen anything like it. Because I was lucky to play, when I first came through, I would be training with, like, Berkovic and Banabia, who were incredible. Like, I remember Banabia played a ball through between me and someone else one time, which I'd never seen before. Like, I'd literally never seen anyone do that before. <laughs> yeah. But then now you have these two Brazilians that came, like not making 10 people a day, guaranteed they're going to be winning five aside, six aside, seven aside, all that stuff. And you could say news media, whatever, but it wasn't like Rubinho, you see him, he come and greets you with a massive smile. And as soon as people smile, you know, it sets the tone. So he was someone who I, I really liked being around him. But Stephen Island, would you say was almost natural talent wise? Was he not far behind, would you say? In that in that moment there, like he wasn't a million miles behind though. But the way they played the game, like on a Saturday, was different because Stevie's someone who you know he has he has he had he had understanding and was a good player. Uh, but he also he was, had the physical side of it as well and being able to run up and down all that stuff. Yeah. But then, in terms of like, I remember Stevie when we beat uh, United at Old Trafford. Uh, was it under Sven? I think under Sven. Yeah. Yeah, two thousand eight, like, probably. Yeah. Like like real Ferdinand kept trying to play the ball out from the back and Stevie Allen read every single one of them basically yeah. and tortured Real Ferdinand at <laughs> Old Trafford but that's through due to the understanding but then someone like a Rubinho and Alano you know they can see a pass but with Rubinho he could beat any player he wanted to like whenever he wanted like if he if he was like you know he can he can have good days and bad days but if he was having a good day he's essentially unplayable and he's yeah. the first player in that time at City who was essentially unplayable I know it's yeah just feel Stephen Ireland was just astonishing player really yeah, yeah we did sure. see a bit more of him but yeah Rubinho always got the feeling it would just be passing through but players like that coming in were basically a gateway to us moving on to you know other levels, getting other players, and then mm-hmm. obviously all that way to 2012 or whatever. So mm-hmm. uh, now, obviously, Roberto Mancini comes in. Is it fair to say this is where your city, you know, he was not good for you for your city career? And it's no, where it, it went off a bit, or is that yeah? Harsh? It did. No, no, that's fair. That's completely fair. fair but yeah. I can, I can, I'll talk to talk about it as if I was in the moment, but then also talk about it like how I view it now. But from back then, I remember he. I got injured in the last game that Mark Hughes had. We just beaten whoever, and I had like a, I'm not sure. I think it might have been a calf injury or something. Yeah. I was going to be out for four weeks, but the next day or a couple of days after, was when Mancini was there training, and he and I was doing my rehab, and he's uh, he's asking me how are you doing, and I said I'm all right, you know, just like I'm usually a bubbly person, so I say smile on the face, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm just going to go and try and do this today. You know, it should be a couple of weeks. And, like, that's the tone which I had for every manager previous. But he didn't like it. That's something I realised because the way that he viewed injuries was that he said there was no injury that was serious. Yeah. Like, you had players uh, who would have significant knee injuries, hamstring injuries, blah, blah, blah. And he would literally go into the treatment room and say, listen, when I was a player, this would be one week. You have to go back out there and play. 
even yeah. though our physios are saying something's five weeks. So I think he got a level of distrust. He didn't like me from that moment because he thought I was just messing around because this injury was four to six weeks and I was being told with the calf injury, it's going to be at least six weeks. There's no coming back early because if it goes wrong, it then ends up being like an eight-week injury. Yeah. So like I was listening to the medical staff and I tried saying that to him and he just wasn't having me from that moment, like right. straight off the bat. But that's in hindsight, knowing that. Um, and then we went into training. And then that's when there was a the rise of Dedrick Boyata because he didn't want to play me as such. So mm. whereas I'd been playing previously, now Dedrick had been promoted from the reserves. And at the time for the reserves, I don't even think he was a starter for the reserves. So he got promoted and then he was then being put to right back, a position which he hadn't played before. And that's the position which I'd been playing. So, you know, things things definitely were changing. I remember, um, I remember struggling mentally because... No, the, the team hadn't changed, but all of a sudden, I wasn't part of it. Mm. Like, and I didn't know why. That was the thing with him. Like, um, unless he loved you, like he really loved one or two players, unless he loved you, he, you could never get closure from him because he'd never give you a straight answer. Yeah. So there's never anything that you could work on to try and win back his trust. Because once he made his mind up, that was that. And as I say, you'd never know why. Like little things with him. Um, like this, this time here. The fact, the way that he got the team to win the Premier League in 2012 is something that should be noted heavily for a success story. Yeah. Like, incredible. But then also, I would say, I would speak on behalf of a lot of the players in that team there and say that they didn't like him as a person. Yeah. But they played in a style. Like, he, he he's unequivocally a good coach because the, the style that he had in his head about how he wanted the team to play is exactly how the team played on a week-to-week basis. And it was through, like, insane repetition like we're talking doing team shape and build outs every single day for his whole like first year at the club like without fail which is different it's so different but it was like as a player you knew you knew you had to stand here and you had to pass it here here or here and there were no other options he basically took away the sense of freedom from you but his tactics as i say were his tactics and the players played up to exactly how we wanted so you can't necessarily fault him for that but I just feel with the talent that he had, if he was a better man manager, I think he gets more out of the players. And I think they win. They don't just win the league in 2012 in the last minute. I think they win the league by a good few points. But like I say, there's more credit to me. Um, I think it just it happens to have the, the, in terms of City, the right type of players who just completely listened and bought into something, even though they were essentially unhappy at certain points, they just carried on with it, you know, which is massive credit to them. But yeah, for me personally, things... Things changed like that first season when he, that first six months when he came in. Like I was, it was weird. I was getting some, I was getting some funny treatment. Like there's even a point, I don't know if you remember this, but we were 4 0 up away to Burnley in the league. Uh, and at yeah. half time. Yeah, it was chucking it down, I think. Yeah. I, was, I thought it's going to get called off this game because it was yeah. a typical city. Yeah. And like it was at half time. And then at the, just before half time, the, they had a, they put a cross into the box and like I think they had a shot which went wide, and I came in half time. We all came in half time, and then he started attacking me. This was at four. This was at four four in a row at Burnley, yeah. and he was talking about a, the set piece at the end. But the thing which this like this is a particular one particular moment was he was criticizing me about where I was standing for this set piece, but I was standing exactly where I was told to be, mm. and the problem actually came because Craig Bellamy wasn't in his spot. But I was the one who was being attacked for it. And it was at a point where we're 4 up in a game. So I said, no, I, I corrected him, said I was in the right spot. 
And then he said a few words back to me. And then he pulled me to the side and said, don't ever answer back to me again. Mm. But then how, as a player, do you feel? when yeah. you're be, You've been told where to be. You do your job. But now you're being scapegoated for something. Like, do you not, would you not just say, well, I just did, I did as I was told. But like, yeah. again, like, the, the, it's that missing, it's that little bit of just, not empathy, but just a, f- a feeling of management, like, as well. The team is 4-0 up away from home. And the thing that you're going in at half time to talk about is how you think somebody's standing in the wrong position when they're not. You know, it was it was weird. Like during this time, I'm going to keep. Um, there's a lot of stuff here. So it's okay. Back. I apologize. Okay. Um, I mean, no, like, it's as long as you're not. Yeah. Yeah, like he he was like I say, he was a good coach. He got the team to play exactly how he wanted, but there were just certain other bits which he was missing. Like even on a game day, um, you'd always bring I think a squad of twenty, maybe sometimes twenty one. But you'd only have 18 who would be able to be on the field or on the bench. And he'd name the starting 11 uh, like an hour and 15 before kickoff or something. And then, so he made the starting 11 before you leave the hotel for the game. Then you get to the game. And like the last, they'd be putting up set pieces, flipping anything, like anything else is going on. And then they look, they'll put the subs on right at the end, like just on a sheet of paper. And you have to go and see if your name's on the sheet of paper to see if you're involved for the game. And like, I'm like, this is nuts. And that sheet of paper, there were a couple of times on the sheet of paper, like, they forget to put it up, but you've got, um, but you'll have like 10 guys just sitting around waiting to see if they're actually like involved in the game yeah. as the starting 11 are fully changed, almost ready to go. Wow. You know, it's, it, those times, those times were, they were tough. And then on the other side, which, um, so he he made a rule where he said you can't be on your phone after you leave the ho- after we have the team meeting at the hotel and you head into the game, which is fair enough. So what would happen is he would name like you said on your phone. Just think of that term on your phone. Mm. So he'd name the starting eleven. I'd get on the bus. Inevitably, I wasn't playing, so I'd pull my phone out and text my family to say, you know, you can come if you want, but I'm not playing. Put my phone away, yeah, and then yeah. maybe listen to music or something. Yeah. So I used to have to sit across from him on a diagonal on a um, on an adjacent table on this mm. bus, and I did that. I did that for three months. Like that's that's all I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just text say I'm, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. Like because people be asking me, am I playing or am I not? Like that's the again that's the human element which he missed mm. in the fact that once the team was named, like you communicate with people, whether it's a case of where to get tickets from or whatever. But we weren't essentially allowed to do that. Um, but yeah, so I text saying, no, I'm not doing this, not doing that. And everything, I thought everything was just whatever. And then it got to the last game of the season. Uh, so I've missed a chunk of my career here, but this was the last game of the season that <laughs> yeah. year. And uh, I think it was West Ham away, and I thought I was going to be playing since he rested about four or five players. And not only was I not playing, I wasn't even on the bench. And then his assistant came over and he says, oh, come on, you need to put your phone away. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, because the manager hates you when you've been on your phone, when you're on your phone. But they said this after three months of me texting people to say I'm not playing. Yeah. Like just a one-off text. So he just used to sit across from me in the corner, just like hating me. But like I was none the wiser because all those doing was saying, yeah, I'm not playing. But you wouldn't come out and address it from the get-go. You just let it stew. And again, you get you gain no closure because at that point he's made his mind up and that's it. Mm. But yeah, I'll, I'll I'll stop now. If it's good therapy for you, you can keep going if you want. Oh, so. Right, okay. Well, we'll keep going then. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that was that season, and then um, the next was it next year? So I went on loan to Sunderland yeah. in 
2010, 2011. Was that, was that under Steve Bruce, was it? That was under Steve Bruce, yeah. yeah. And, uh, like... We had a good season. We, we achieved our goals, which is as wild as it may seem for Sunderland now to finish top 10 in the yeah. Premier League. So, so we did that. And then uh, there was half a chance that Sunderland were going to come back and come try me permanently. But I wanted to go back to City because it was the year where they won the FA Cup. Yeah. And I said, I said to myself, rather, right, rightly or wrongly, I said, I'd rather be a player who plays in half the games for a team that is trying to win something yeah. than play week in, week out for a team who's not trying to win anything at all. That was that was my mentality, and maybe yeah. it was wrong or whatever. So I, uh, I spoke to my agent. He said you should go back to Mancini at the end of the season and tell him that you want to come back, and that you know this is this and this is that, and you know you just want to come back and see if you can try and win a place back and see if he'll trust you. Blah blah blah. So I did that, and he's like, okay, okay, I'll get back to you. I thought it's great. Got married that summer. Got in a helicopter for, in San Francisco, rode around, I went around and it landed, message on my phone, voicemail. So the manager said he needs to go and find a new club. Cool. I, was like, I was like, okay, cool. This is day one of my honeymoon as well. I was like, all right, cool. But I thought, whatever, they don't know that is what it is. It's disappointing. Um, so then I was coming back for pre-season because I hadn't had anything done yet. This was the Saturday before pre-season started on a Monday. Yeah. And I got a text from... Um, uh, someone saying, you know, don't come back in on Monday, come back in on Saturday. So I thought, oh, maybe preseason's been pushed back. But no, it was myself and four or five others been told that basically you're not going to train with the first team. They're going to travel to America and then you're going to stay and train with the like essentially under 16s. So yeah, that was the next six months of my career doing that. That's right, not even six months, did the preseason, playing against like Staley Bridge, Altrincham, teams like that while they were in the US playing into Milan's, all that palaver. Um, and then uh, the transfer window closed and on the next day or that next week was the first Champions League game for the club and somehow I'm in the squad and I'm like what is going on here but the only reason I was was because um, of, I think it was a homegrown call to the before yeah. game yeah and like I thought is this literally what my career is going to be now just being part of a quarter but yeah did you think he punished you then for not making that move Permanent to Sunderland. Is that that uh, sort of person that would you know, just say? No, I don't know. I don't know. I think he just he just wasn't interested in me at all as a player. Like, yeah. I, and I don't know. Or I guess as a person as well. But I, I pride myself as a player. But I pride myself even even more as a person who I am. But he just didn't. He never got me. Like everyone else in the club got me, and it mm. was like cool because I'm not a controversial character. And I'm yeah. I'm the type who would give. Like I take nothing away from anybody's mood ever. Even if I'm in the worst mood, I will never make your mood worse. I had to make it better or keep it the same. But this guy, like, I remember a couple of times, or one time in particular, I'd be we're warming up, and as we're going warming up, I'm like laughing and joking with Micah, and he pulls us both to the side, or pulled Micah to the side and said, "Listen, we don't laugh in the warm up anymore, and put an arm around it. This isn't how we do things. Like you, know, you weren't allowed to laugh in training." But uh, interesting, like I say, he pulled Micah to the side. He just shouted at me and pulled Mike and spoke to him about it. Wow. Try stopping him laughing. <laughs> well, exactly. But that's but that's the that's the place that it was in that moment. Like you couldn't, you were literally not allowed to laugh in a warm up. And I thought, wow, this is wild. Look, but he's, uh, but yeah, it just didn't care for me at all. Roberto Mancini will always have a special place in City's fans' hearts because he was the one that changed. You know, well, we think he obviously. Knocked Ferguson off his perch, one of the first uh, yeah, tr- rightly so, yeah. trophies and a good coach. But, you know, I'm not one, I might be in a minority, I'm not one to blow smoke up his arse because I know about that last season. I feel a bit for him that after winning the league, he yeah. didn't, didn't get the, uh, he wanted to make some big signings and we didn't get them and he yeah. was arguing. Uh, but it was the, 
architect of his own downfall at City, and I can't yeah. believe the sim- you know, at the time and that that cup defeat against Wigan was the worst one of the worst days of City fan and that weekend knowing he was going. Yeah. And the club were to blame as well, but he kind of dug his own grave in that last yeah. season. The club is fighting with everyone. And, yeah. and it, yeah, it is what it is when it's going well, I think. You know, as you say, that that title winning season, six months and that squad, that was some of the best football this club has played. But you know, yeah. with someone like Mancini, as soon as it's not going well, yeah. that is it. You know, everything's yeah. burning, really. So Yeah, like I say, I'm not, I'm not trying to. I, like, I personally didn't like him. But yeah. I appreciate the fact that he's a very significant part of the club's history because yeah. I saw firsthand how it transformed the way the playing style and got people to go and win. Like I think it was that year. I think at the start of preseason, we'd be doing oh sorry, not preseason, some point in training, you'd be doing like build outs and stuff and he's getting the strikers to just kick a ball into an empty goal and they'd you'd go through the motions because it's kicking a ball into an empty goal and he used to get really annoyed at it. Because he said, Listen, you have to take this seriously because you'll probably there's a chance you'll win the league on goal difference. And he said that in preseason, and then <laughs> won the league on goal difference. Yeah. Like, if ever there was a point where I couldn't, like, I couldn't be more annoyed in terms of circumstance, that was it. Like, come on, how's he? How's he said that? And that's what's ended up happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it couldn't, it could have happened to a worse person, in my opinion, in that time. But you know, <laughs> it is what it is. You know, we talked about superstition earlier. Is it true that he had this thing about the color purple? Or is that? Uh, a myth? To be honest, I didn't really spend enough time with him or speak to him ever to know yeah. that. But I know he was very, very different in his views. Like, say, he'd come in, he came into the dress, to the training ground and he's, he's trying to install B-days and hair dryers and stuff like this, you know. Yeah. He's, he takes, um, self-care is a big thing for him. Let's just yeah. say that anyway. Yeah. Yeah, stylish Italian. So, well, that's it, part of it. He had the image as well, did he not, so... Yeah, we were, sure. were, were City's car far better than I ever could. So, <laughs> fair dues. Uh, now, come back. Obviously, you go to QPR, a permanent deal. Is it permanent in the January window? Was that a permanent deal? Yes, it was, yeah. So, it was, come back. Um, how big a, anyway, I was a City fan, how big a wrench was that for you to leave the club on, you know, permanently? So, yeah, it was, it was a huge. tough decision, yeah. Yeah, it was huge. But to be honest, the, the first, the toughest bit of the leaving part was actually the year before going to Sunderland. Because I'd never le- I'd never left City before that point. Yeah. But I had to leave to try and get some football. So it, the initial step away was tough then, and this this one going to QPR was a bit easier because for six months previous, like I, like I played one league game, which happened to be the I, it was bizarre. Again, I just made a squad at the time when apparently QPR were trying to buy me, and then we were away to Wigan, we we're winning. And then he put me on to like secure the game. He trusted me to secure the game okay. for three at the back. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, I'd not played a league game before it. But then, yeah, the next thing it's like, well, QPR have put a bid in, which we've accepted, and you have to go and speak to them. And that was a totally new concept to me because I didn't necessarily want to go to QPR because they were, there they were, like, uh, fourth bottom at the time in the, in the Premiership. And, you know, who, who makes a conscious effort to try and go to a situation which is tricky like that? Yeah. And even as a Mancunian, um, like, the concept of London... I get it more now that I've spent six years there than I did at the time when every time I go down, all I'd see would be traffic and stadiums. You know, like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't as appealing. Um, but the way that careers work and seasons work is you're never guaranteed like years to come. So could I have afforded to stay at City and not play for another six months and basically say that whole season was just written off? No, I couldn't. And here was a team with a manager who I knew who would give me the opportunity to play football again in the Premier League. And, like, it's, it, it just, I couldn't turn it down. But, it was, as I say, it was a it was a weird moment to 
to finally leave and say like this is my new home like when I arrived at the training ground for the first time and to be fair QPR's training ground at that moment wasn't a great training ground it's basically porter yeah. cabins by the airport like <laughs> this is my new home there's no like when you go on loan to Sunderland you've got the backup of knowing you'll be going back to Carrington or whatever but no this it's is permanent, yeah. yeah this is it and that was a that was a strange feeling getting in my car or getting on the train and traveling down there because like you know, there's no going back now. This is this is the direction you're heading, and this is the way it will be forever. Mm. Let's talk about that day then. Yeah, <laughs> uh, on, then. Well, I didn't. I don't think I barely slept as a fan the week up to the final game of the season. Were you thinking at all during that week of all the games? Could we not just have played someone else with there's survival a, on the line? Oh my god! So I saw, I saw the fixture list as I was heading down to QPR, and I thought, oh my god. Are we really going to be playing City last game of the season? <laughs> yeah, um, we have to laugh and, now. Exactly. And then as every week passed, you know, we'd be losing games away from home and then we got on a nice run of form at home. And then it got to a point where like, we, we only stayed up because we beat Stoke in the last minute the week before. Yeah. Like, that's a significant part of our story about that last day because, you know, like City won. Like we lost, it's not a talking point. But we lost and we stayed up. And why did we stay up even though we lost? And it's because, as I say, what came the week before. And uh, like I was saying, the um, as the weeks were passing, that game was starting to become more and more important, especially because for City and United, they were winning week in, week out. You know, So yeah. they the title wasn't even done there either. Like if, 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 say, if City had already won the title, then it's a different energy. Yeah. But no, obviously it had to come down to the last day. And you say you didn't sleep in that week. Not, nor did I, because in my head, I couldn't escape all the different possible scenarios yeah. in terms of what could have happened. Whether it's a case of me, like, to, to describe it uh, in real time as it happened, the moment I'm getting, I'm in London, it's game, it's the day before the game. I'm getting on a train to go to Manchester. Manchester's my home. Mm. As well as going to my home. Like, they couldn't be any more familiar, like getting off at Piccadilly or whatever. Couldn't be any more familiar. I get to the stadium on game day. Also, sorry, the morning of the game day, I go for a walk. I'm walking down Dean's Gate, like, this is my home. I get to the stadium and I could tell you everyone's name, every of the first 50 people I see in the stadium, yeah. because this is my home. And now I'm here as the opposition who has to be beaten with players who like are my teammates, but I don't, I haven't had enough time to form any type of real relationship with them because it's been purely business in terms of football. And it's been a tough like few months in terms of losing most weeks and, you know, just trying to mm -hmm. find and learn about this new culture and so on. So um, like it's, I know like I get down the bottom of the stairs and I turn right instead of left to go to the dressing room. <laughs> You know, this, yeah. like I've never even been in that other dressing room. And all of a sudden, like, here I am. And I'm, that's that's my side. And it was, um, it was it was very, very weird. It was very surreal. Because I'd literally only been at QPR three months. But I'd been at City for the previous 16 years. You know, so there was a yeah. sense of familiarity with one side as opposed to the other. And then as the game was panning out, you know, it's... And from a professional standpoint, I had to, we had to get a result, basically, was my mentality, because we have to stay up, because yeah. here's me, I've never played in the championship, and if I get this wrong, or if we lose this game, then I'll be playing in the championship, and I'll get sent to the championship by my old team in a game which they're celebrating for winning the league, which as an individual is terrifying, I can mm. tell you that for a fact now, it's yeah. literally terrifying, but the way that things worked out, like the one scenario which I didn't think of, 
was the exact one which came to fruition and the fact that we stayed we stayed up i got to see some of my close teammates on the other ex-teammates on the other team win a league i got to see fans like win a win the league see united lose the title away to my old team sunderland who are now mocking them like it was <laughs> it was a it was literally a perfect storm for me and i'd be honest i didn't see it happening when at half time bolton were winning and we were losing after yeah. pablo scored because in that moment like we were down and you know you you say all the right things in the dressing room, like come on guys we can do this blah 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 but i don't think city had lost the game in the league that year and I don't think we'd beaten anyone of significance away from home that season either. I assume Joey Barton wasn't your favourite person that day either. No, it wasn't, like- it wasn't, isn't, still is not. But he's, <laughs> again, like, as I'm a bit older now, I can talk in a more sensible manner. Like, he's a, he's a good player. And for the years that I played with him, he was always a significant player for the team. But yeah. as from a personality standpoint, never clicked with him at all. Completely disagree with some of the things that he'd say. Completely disagree with a lot of things that he did. But he was, he was a good player, and I just felt like in that moment, in that particular game, I just thought, what is he doing? Because, as I say, he's a big part of that team, and that's what he's going to do in what essentially was going to be our biggest, potentially our biggest game of the season. Yeah. You know, and that's just so disappointing. Uh, <laughs> that moment, I know you've talked about this before, so did you truly not know when Sergio Goyo put that in the net? I mean, obviously, now I'm sat next, that day I'm sat next to the away fans, so I, I'm i concentrating on United's results. I know, yeah. I know, I mean, I know they're going to win United. <laughs> Since yeah. it's 1 0, I know it's they're not they're not dropping that. But I'm not really concentrating on the Bolton, but, you know, I can yeah. tell from the away fans, I knew what the score was. And yeah. they started cheering, I think it was about 30 seconds before or something. Did you yeah. honestly know? I mean, I've seen the reaction of, the, of you know your teammates and you when that goal goes in. Did you honestly think at that moment you'd been relegated? Yeah, listen, as soon as as soon as soon that goal went in, like my insides just fell out, basically. I was like, yeah. oh my God. Because as well, I... Uh, I thought I was to blame for the goal because I I gave a thrown away. I had a thrown up in the right wing. <laughs> yeah. And I asked Joe Boffroy to go down the line. So I threw it down the line, but he never went. So that was uh-huh. the start of the attack. Wow. So as I was like you as a player, you know sometimes like football isn't the way that it's perceived on TV or spoken about. Yeah. Like if someone slips and someone scores, there's something else that probably happened before that that's a bigger deal than the slip itself. But they'll criticized for the slip. But so as a player I knew I was the reason that it was a turnover um, further up the field. Like if I threw it, if Jay Boffroyd literally went down the line and I threw it to him, City probably don't score that goal and they're not champions. But that triggered the attack, came forward, and I couldn't affect it from that point because it never came to my side again. Yeah. But lo and behold, like the goal was scored. And literally for like 15 seconds, I was like, oh my God. Because everybody in the stadium screaming because they know how big a goal that is for them. And it's like, but we're going down. But then I looked up, saw our bench, and they were celebrating. Then I looked over at our fans. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. Then I looked over at our fans. They were celebrating. So then in that moment, it went from being the low. That was the lowest point in my career to that point. Yeah. And then it was met by the highest point in my career because we stayed up. Same and emotions as the fans. Yeah. Yeah. And then if that, to be honest, if the, if there was ten more minutes to go in the game. I guarantee you, someone could have just rolled the ball in the centre circle and both teams would have just been having a chat for 10 minutes in the middle of the field because it was done. You I finished I mean? celebrating and I knew you'd stayed up, but I thought, hang on, the game's not over yet. 
This is yeah. City. And when yeah. I saw, that was one of the greatest moments in my life, when I saw that you your team were not interested in going after that ball, no, that is when everything, bit. just the relief just flooded through me because I thought, no, everyone's happy here and that's how it ends. And Yeah, literally. literally. It was... Um, it was it was a truly, truly incredible moment. Like, obviously yeah. for both teams, but for I just felt for me in particular, based on the fact that I was, you know, I was, I'd been at City three months earlier, you know, and I'd been at City for the 60, 16 years prior. And like, now to come back as the opposition, yeah. but then to manage to find a way to get past that moment. And then even little things like, these are the little petty things. So the season's finished. So I can just go to my house in Manchester, which is 15 minutes away from the stadium. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas for the other guys, they've got like a two, three hour train journey to try and get back to their houses before they can actually fully say the season's done. But like for me, it was just, it's like, let's, I said to like my wife at the time and friends, come just meet me in the car park. Let's go on. It's done. Let's, yeah, so we'll you stayed it. over, yeah. So stayed over. I still got my house there now. Like, no, I mean that night. You didn't go. You didn't have to no. go back to London. No, no it was done. Literally, as soon as the final whistle was done, it was done. <laughs> You're out of there. It was, a, and it was a sunny day it in was. Manchester. Yeah, and the season was finished. And also, like, uh, I don't know if you've seen read up about any of this, but for days after the um, after the game, I actually didn't know who scored the goal for City. Really? No, I didn't know that. Wow. Didn't have a didn't have a clue. Like like there was so much going on and so much stress and whatever. Yeah. Did not have a clue who scored the goal. Didn't watch any highlights of it because I never watched games back, especially ones where I've had that like level of stress. And yeah, it took. I just happened to put Sky Sports News on like a few days later and it said, "Oh, and let's have another look at Aguero's goal." I was like, oh, "Aguero." <laughs> Ooh, did, you, did you not notice a man waving a, a topless man waving a shirt? You see, that's the thing. You say that, but you only notice that. If you're a player or a supporter for Man yeah, City, yeah. because otherwise, like as I say, I thought to myself, like we've just blown this here, and that was my bigger that was my bigger concern as opposed to uh, as I say, who um, who's wheeling off with their shirt off. Mm. It was an amazing day, uh, and I'm wary of time, so I thought you can't spend much time on QPR. Uh, see, but you spent you spent six years at QPR. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Bit of a yo up and down as QPR often are, of course, in recent history. And mm-hmm. uh, what was it like there? Your time was it just a lot of highs and lows, and yeah. just going up and down like that? Is it? What's it like for players? Is it frustrating, or would you it's... rather be? Would you rather be up and down like that, or just be a mid-table Premier League team who just yeah does nothing? I think, I think you'd probably you'd have to take being a mid-table Premier League team yeah. to be honest, because one of the things about. Um, being that sort of yo-yo concept is like if you like it was only it was a short-term yo-yo situation because we struggled for a couple of years in the Premier League quite badly. Um, like when you uh, when you go down to the Championship, it's a completely different type of style of football, completely different mentality. You know, like in the Premiership, if you don't win, if you don't win in three games, like it's big news and you'll read about it everywhere. But you could have a team. There was a team who didn't win in like 16, 17 games in the Championship. And you could watch TV and you probably wouldn't even know about it. Like, the scrutiny is different. As I said, the player mentality is different. The style of games are different. Like, you could have maybe 10 games, or sorry, 10 teams who play exactly the same way. So, whether you're playing, you're playing Saturday and you have to, it's just the same game. You know, it kind of repeats itself. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's no problem as such, but you don't have those same moments where, say, you can go from like an Arsenal one week in an incredible stadium, then playing a particular style of football to then go into another place with a different style of football again, different setup. Like, it's just, at times, it's just deja vu, but you do it 46 times. Yeah. And if you're not, um, like, if you're not 
mentally and physically ready for that. Like it will sweep you away. Like the luxury of playing one game a week, basically in the Premiership for most of the season, that's just not a thing. Because again, with the forty-six league games, you have to include the cup games and stuff as well, don't you? Yeah. And the moment you do, like you, you're on the block. Seriously, it's it's tough. It's tough to it's tough to be down there. And as I say, if you are as crazy as it may be, from a you almost see it sounds like a weak mentality, but it's essentially a real mentality for a lot of clubs. Like if you're a mid-table Premier League team, which is coveted by a lot of teams who are down at the bottom, don't get it twisted. Yeah. You have the security of knowing that essentially you'll get your status for the Premier League the next year. Yeah. And you do still have all those big games which are available, like going away to City, going away to United, going away to Liverpool, going away to Chelsea, all that stuff. And then you get to bring them to your home stadium as well, which is, which is exactly what the fans want to see. You know, so like you'll take that every day over, say, maybe you play... Uh, like with all due respect, you play Barnsley on a Tuesday night and the stadium's not necessarily full and it's yeah. it's not great. And then going up to play Preston on Saturday, sure, you'd rather have, you know, Arsenal on a Tuesday and then, you know, even, I don't know, like a Leicester on a Saturday because they just, the games just fit, they just are bigger, aren't they? Yeah. Well, the Championship, did it have, I mean, it is an amazing league, is it not? I mean, it, attendance wise, I think it's, obviously, there's more. Because you're playing 46 games, there's more. Yeah. Obviously, the attendance figure is a bit misleading, but it does rank high in Europe on attendances. But did yeah. you not? Did you just see it as a slog because of the the absolute incessant no. nature of it? Or? Yeah, it's a, it's a slog just because you're constantly playing games. Like it's great to play games, but you know sometimes the quality will drop off because mm. of the fact that you've you, you've played so many games in such a long period of time. But you know it's 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 the it's, it's a tough division. Like, not every team that goes in there is going to be able to, like, just play pretty football and win. Because you see some teams try and do it and they really struggle. Because you'll play against uh, teams like, say, for example, like a Cardiff, who won't, who have a more of a concern in terms of competing and just winning than they do on style of, style of play. Mm-hmm. You know, style of play is a thing, but it's not really as big a deal as it is in the Premiership. So, like, I think we played Millwall two, three years ago when I was at QPR. And for the first 20 minutes of the game, we couldn't get out of our half, but it wasn't because they were keeping the ball. It's just that every time we lost it, they spun it into the corner and they had people go and chase and fight to try and win throw-ins. <laughs> so they just literally had the, all the territory. Yeah. And, you know, you, like it's, it seems wild, but that's, that's what it is and that's how you find success in that division in just being really competitive and controlling territory. And then, you know, hopefully you have someone, uh, a striker or whatever, or a few goal scorers who can make a difference. But... If you're not committed, you'll get absolutely eaten alive in that yeah. league, to say the least. So, how did it come about that you considered and then decided to move to America? Um, so, my contract was coming up at QPR, and I just won uh, Player of the Year by the players, which was which was not, not like a nice thing for me. Yeah. And you know, I I could have. I was undecided about whether to stay or not, but then they didn't really offer me a contract, which was worth staying for because they basically were, I think they were trying to give me like almost the first off was like a pay-as-you-play deal which was weird considering I was the captain and I'd just played every game for the past three years essentially <laughs> so I didn't quite get that but it kind of made it clear that they were trying to go in a different direction so I said okay fine the kid um, I think I had well, sorry, I had two kids at the time um, and was it two? yeah Three, two, three, I don't know. I've got too many kids. There's two or three, I'm not sure. Somewhere between that. It's early in the morning, so I'll let you know. Yeah, maybe two and a half kids. And, um, like, I thought 
the job of being a footballer is one whereby it allows you to travel the country and travel the world. And that's such a good thing if you want to see different cultures and so on. Yeah. And it's not necessarily something which can be afforded to you if you just have a normal job because you can't really uproot and go and do wherever and be flexible. So I thought maybe yeah. tr it's time to go and try and see something different. So my initial plan was to see if I could play, go and play for, for a team in Europe. But that wasn't working out because I think at the time the mentality was sort of like if you're going to bring in a player over from Britain, you, you bring them when they're young. And being 29, 30, I think at the time, it wasn't something that was going to fly. Um, mm. Sorry, 31, I think it was. So then someone said, well, have you thought about going to the USA? And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's look into it. So I looked into it and I got excited by it. I had a, got a few references from people who were over there about what it was like. And um, yeah, the opportunity came to to come come to RSL. And it was a, it was a good contract in terms of, time because it was two and a half years yeah which is you know it's going to come up to an end at this time this point now which puts me in a good spot and i had better financial offers to stay in the uk yeah but i just wanted to just try and experience something different experience it with my family and i was lucky enough to be able to do so and has it been everything is it what you expected or has it surprised you in any way or? oh it surprised me endlessly because the way that they play not necessarily the way they play the game on the field but the player mentality and the league mentality is completely different because the players are all owned by the league as opposed right. to the clubs. Yeah. So they have a lot of power and they exert a lot of power over the players. Like if they said, like the same reason we went to that Orlando, that MLS is back tournament in Orlando, like that would never in a million years happen in the Premier League yeah. Championship or wherever because, you know, clubs just wouldn't be interested. But here the league suggested it. And the players, you know, they have to consider everything because for them, the bottom line is if they say no, the league can threaten a lockout. And as a consequence, the players don't get paid, you know. And when, it, when that's the setup, like, it's, it's tough. And even, like, yesterday we played in Colorado. and We, uh, we travelled on the day yeah. and then travelled straight back after the game. And for most people in the league, that's the first time they've done that for an away game in the whole time. Whereas in the UK and elsewhere, like, it's just perfectly normal. The league is just very, very different in the way that it's run. But it's, it's uh, overall, it's good fun. But I just wish the players realised that they are the product and not the not like the commissioner who's getting five million a year, but then mm. a third of the league on less or on less than a hundred thousand a year. Wow. Yeah. Is it, do you think it's going to grow in the future? I mean, it's one of those questions yeah. that's been asked for decades. Isn't it? Yeah, I think it, I think it will grow, but it's just about how it grows. Like they they can add certain things and whatever and you know try and grow the product but the fact is when it comes down to it football in america is like maybe the fifth sixth most important sport yeah. it's not a sport where like in the uk or around the world you don't need money all you need is a ball it's not like that yeah. it's literally the case of like if you're a good if you're a good athlete in america they'll push you towards american football baseball um athletics and basketball like that's where they'll lead you like no questions asked yeah. whereas in the uk like if you're a good if you're a good athlete they're immediately trying to push you down the lines of football you know like no questions asked just straight in there and the sport essentially here is bigger for women than it is for men yeah. like they see football as being like a middle class women's sport as opposed to assault the earth like this is what the people play type sport you know so you can't really change that audience. And so as a consequence, they rely on stars coming over to try and bring all the audience in. Mm -hmm. But again, like 
there's some teams in the league right now who are younger than my children. Mm. So, you know, if you don't make it about the clubs and you just rely on the stars, then the audiences will come and go. But if you make it about the clubs, the clubs won't go anywhere. So as a consequence, like the, the, the thing's different. Like people, in five years' time, I'll still be watching El Clasico, even though Messi isn't in it and Ronaldo isn't yeah. in it, yeah. you know, because that's Real Madrid and Barcelona. But here, unless this big name person is playing or whatever, you know, they won't, people won't necessarily watch it because there's not the appetite for it. The other sports are just infinitely bigger. Mm. Right, I don't want to raise your blood pressure, but I'm going to name a player now. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yes, sir. <laughs> what happened in that match? He was just was, he, was um, he just being Zlatan Ibrahimovic? Yeah, he, he was. He was. That, yeah. he was. But it's just the way that it started. I think it was in the first half. So I forget. In fact, it might have just been second half. And I just went and I was trying to get a ball in from in front of him, and he just grabbed me around the neck and threw me to the floor. Uh, so I'm, I'm sitting on the floor with my hands up, looking at him like, "What are you doing?" And then he starts telling me to get up and starts criticizing me for going to the floor. But like, I didn't, I didn't just land on the floor. You dragged me to the floor by my neck. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then he started running his gums. So I started giving him some back. And to be fair, like, he's not, I don't think he's used to that in the MLS because they're kind of like, yeah. they get, when they see a star, they get a little bit weird with it. But, um, yeah, I, I gave it, I started giving him some back. And then in the game, we were battling and I was chirping, he was chirping, which is like, you know, drawing each other is like a pretty standard part of just football normally. It's how I see it. Like, so I've played with so many players with like a proper slick tongue or whatever. But over here, it's not it's not as big a thing. Um, but we did that. Then he scored the goal and he did that celebration in my face, which I didn't know he was actually doing because I wasn't looking at him. But if I knew he did that on the field, then I think I probably would have had a different outcome to it and I wouldn't have been as calm. Like, people were commending my calmness. I was like, ah, yeah, yeah cheers, it. yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> as I say, if we'd have seen it, there's n I'm not having that, not for a second. But um, all that happened. And then he tried to come into the dressing room, literally, yeah. like, two minutes after the game was finished, and trying to say, have you calmed down, big man? And I, was, and I was like, this guy's literally trying to mug me off. And he mugged me <laughs> off in front of my friend, in front of my teammates. But... The difference between, say, America and UK or wherever is the fact that he was able to just walk into the dressing room. Yeah. Like, no, that doesn't happen, especially when this was a like multi-figure as well. And based on the stuff which happened on the field, after the game, one of my own teammates was trying to take a picture with him, literally trying to take a picture with him. And I'm thinking, this is like some alternate alternate yeah. reality to this. Um, so he came in, and I, as I say, I, I felt he tried to mug me off by saying, have you calmed down yet, big man? So I said, nah, you can, you can do one. Essentially, <laughs> and then you know. I hope those were your precise words. No, they were worse than that. To be honest, <laughs> they were a lot worse than that. But yeah. like when I get angry, the bank in me comes out. So yeah. you can imagine what I was saying. Uh, so yeah, I was giving him, I was giving him quite a lot back, but rightly so because there's no reason for him to be there. Um, and then yeah, it turned into a bit of a thing on social media where people like his hive, his hive were after me. Like there was a split. There were people saying, "Oh, good on you from speaking up to him." Which is fair enough because, like, he's just a human being. He's on the same field as me. He breathes the same air as me. He's kicking yeah. the same ball. But then his hive, they're like, yeah, who even are you? Don't mess with Zlatan. Don't mess with Zlatan. <laughs> thinking, Shut up, seriously. <laughs> like, it's, it's so funny, man. People get so defensive about their stars, especially yeah, people yeah. who, like, especially when it's someone like that who just constantly runs their gums, if you know what I mean. Wow. Just, uh, 
Just look at Bernardo Silva putting a video of his uh, his boat holiday on Twitter and the Liverpool fans replying. It's like, good God, this is yeah, the world we live in now. So. Oh, no, it's silly. Um, it's so silly. Right, uh, yeah, I'll have to wrap up in a bit. So I, don't, I won't finish on Pep, but just very quickly, uh, do you know your fu- yeah, Do you have any future plans? Do you know where, yeah. what you want to do in the past or are you just happy to concentrate on playing for now? Um, well, I'm just playing for now, but I know that my contract's up at the end of the season. So when that time comes, you know, I'll review things. Like mm. if I stop, I'll be I'll be happy to stop if I carry on. You know, um, management. What it is. Management? No, absolutely, no. absolutely not. No, no, none of that stuff. None of that stuff at all. No, I just I want to I want to just go and just like just enjoy living a normal life for a bit. I think whenever yeah. I stop, because you know. We take certain things we take for granted, like just on a Saturday not having a game, yeah. or like when I when I from the moment my oldest daughter started going to school, and I wasn't playing at the time. Like a weekend was incredible. Yeah. It's like literally, like you, it felt like I'd worked hard for the weekend. Yeah. Like she she'd been to school, we'd been taking her in Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday, oh let's just have a lion, oh let's just chill out. Like I remember <laughs> being in being in town on a Saturday afternoon at like two three o'clock, which is something I'd never seen before yeah. really. I thought this this is special. Yeah. <laughs> I could get used to this. Get your your life back in the way. Yeah, the... yeah, that's the dream. Yeah, uh, Pep. Then <laughs> your thoughts on what has been a very interesting four years. W- would you like to play for him first of all? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, is that a ridiculous 100%. question? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I love so I love Pep from his time at Barcelona. I love Pep yeah. from his play like playing career and managerial career. Like I think he's a very very special manager, and he sees the game from in a very very different way which is a hard thing to do because most people are literally just set up to, you know, they play a certain style, they see a certain style, but he literally has a different vision for the game. And speaking to Gail Clichy, like he said when he played with him, he, like Gail was 30 years old, if not older, when he first got with Pep and like, he said all of a sudden he had to like rethink the way the game's played and stuff yeah. like this. Like it's completely different and like that's special and think how much success he's had based on that as well. He takes players to a whole... Like, Raheem Sterling wouldn't have scored the amount of goals he scored, I don't think, yeah. unless he's being coached by someone like Pep. Um, but also, a little bit of trivia for you. I don't know if you know this, but... So, I, I would have loved to have played with Pep because he's one of my favourite managers in the world. But I also trained with Pep. Did you know that? No. So, when uh, Stuart Pearce was coach, Pep Guardiola actually came... Of course, came, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. Came on, he came on trial... And I, I think me with the reserves or whatever, he was just training with one of the like greatest midfielders to ever play for Spain. And I was thinking, what is going on here? Why is Pep Guardiola here at Man City training at Carrington with us? But what time to be alive, eh? What, did, did Stuart Pearce turn him down or did it just not work? Do you know, he did, I think he did, yeah, because I think uh, Pep wanted 18 months and I think City at the time only wanted to offer him six months. Wow. So yeah, so Pep Guardiola could have played and coached the club. But it's a small world, eh? Teeny <laughs> tiny, my friend. How do you explain Leon though? Is that not a name? The Champions League. Do you do you see flaws in him? Or? Oh, the the flaws in every manager, but there's also flaws in every player. And I think uh, things just this year for City just wasn't quite what what they would have hoped it it would be. Mm. And you know, they could play Leon ten times, and I still fancy City to beat them, even though they've the record against Leon isn't great at this moment in time. But it's just. This year, just in a one-off game, uh, I think City have shown that you know they're not as maybe as um, unstoppable as maybe they have been in other years. Like if you if you create this Leon game across two games, I'd literally say City all day long. Yeah. But in a one-off tie where a game's like tone can be changed based on you know, like one minute. If City like if City 
take a 2 0 lead or something, had Leon change the game to try and do so, as opposed to Leon having a lead and having something they can fall back on, knowing that they're good on the counter attack. You know, it's just it's just the nature of football, unfortunately. And we, with all due respect as well, we have to say if you're in the quarterfinals of a Champions League or whatever, like you didn't get there by drawing games. You know, you yeah. know how to win games and games against big teams as well. Mm. Uh, the team then, if you. We discussed this last week on the podcast. So he's in his last year of his contract. He may yep. have signed one, he may not. As a player, you're better placed than any of us who were bickering over. I was saying it doesn't matter to me. Everyone else on Twitter is saying he can't stay there next season without signing an extension. If you're a player under him next season and he's in his last year, does it really matter to you? Or no, do you it think it's a pro- is it problematic that... You know, it's kind of like the Pellegrini last season thing. It's nothing like that in a way. But would, would the... The players like tune in more to his ideas if he signs an extension, or would it just not matter to you? Would you still try as hard, or would for me personally, yeah, for me, for me personally, it wouldn't matter, just because the way that football works. I don't think the seasons are too long to be thinking about seasons to come. Yeah, you know, you, you'd you'd be more concerned about say if you if you really really loved him and your whole life revolves around him. Yes, you'd want to have the security of knowing that he signed a contract extension. But then in the reality of the situation, it's like, who's to say he wouldn't just lose his job a month into that new deal anyway? Mm. You know, I think you have to very much stay in the moment and stay in the season. And if he's guaranteed another year, like, this is, just make the most of that year because as players and as coaching staff and as a club in general, this year that's just been now, overall will be seen as a disappointment. So just focus on trying to rectify that as opposed to thinking like, oh, but who's going to be in charge next year? Or the year after, you know, that that stuff overall doesn't, it doesn't matter. You have to very much stay in the moment and it's like, it's just game to game, you know, if, yeah. The team itself then after that season, what do you think it needs to be back at the top? Have we done some of it already? Um, yeah, the I, business think, I, think, I think, I think we've done some already. Yeah. Um, for me, I think from the, the tone was kind of set when they lost an arch earlier in the season, because I think it showed that teams can score goals against them. Like it's not like the city ended up having maybe the second or third best defensive record in the league. Yeah. But as I know this as a player in the same way, when we, when we were at city and we were very much underdogs going to old Trafford's and places like that. If the, if the team that we're playing against had a couple of players missing or whatever, it encouraged you in the same way that when United were killing everyone, like people were going to old Trafford, hoping not to lose by many, but then when you see that United had a few flaws, like except for this year, you look back to the previous two, three years, and no one fears going to Old Trafford anymore. And that's because of a change in mentality, not from Manchester United, but by the opposition in terms of mm. how they view them. And I think as the season progressed, based on results like that Norwich game, people had more belief that when they were playing against City, that they'd have a way and have the chance to beat them. Mm. And it ended up being to that level where, you know, City could dominate the ball and whatever, but the other team knew that, you know, sometimes all you have to do is just just take a chance, just take a chance, just take a chance. They might give you a chance and this, that and the other. And I think, um, unfortunately, that's the way that things worked out. But as soon as you find, say, maybe a back line for City or start and line up for City where the same way that, say, last year, I think it was, strikers were scared to run at Virgil van Dijk, even though he's just a human being with two legs and two feet, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, when you have that type of war around you, people play differently. People won't try things, but I think people were 
kind of encouraged when they saw certain players playing for City in certain instances because they just believed that they, they were more than they were plenty capable of beating them, which is uh, which isn't what was there the year before. Would you like to defend with that high line, um, <laughs> the Pep high line on the halfway line? Do you know? I think it, de- it depends who you're playing against because how many teams actually have significant pace in behind. Yeah. But then to counter that, if you then had a team like, uh, say, Liverpool, when they have uh, Van Dijk and Gomez playing at the back, then you have two defenders who have pace as well. So as a consequence, you take you take the risk of playing higher, but you also have the benefit because your players can recover anyway. And the benefit is you win the ball higher up the field. And the higher up the field you can win the ball is the more goals you score because yeah. your attackers are all essentially killers, aren't they? Yeah. So you're confident that next season we'll see the City of, say, two well, seasons ago? Well, I'm, I'm confident. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm confident that you definitely will. But I think there's going to be a big focus amongst the players and the staff to be better than this last year. And considering they finished second, you know, being better than this last year means that, you know, they're going to be closer to first at least. Right, final question then. I promise you, I'll let you get away. Uh, You've got your own podcast. I thought if you want to plug it, but the the question linked to that is, who would be your dream guest on your podcast? Uh, Dream guest? That's a good question. Um, So based on who I was as an academy player like I used to really love Thierry Henry yeah so I'm going to try and push for him because he's in the MLS so I'm going to try and get that done um, but in terms of just for listeners based on who I've had on so far one which I'm getting close to because he said he will do it but he's literally responds to text slower than just like carrier pigeons deliver mail is uh, <laughs> Vincent is Vincent company maybe like, Roberto Mancini uh, 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 he's not oh, listen yeah, so I think Vincent Company at oh, some yes, point will be, will be coming on. Oh. So I think when that one comes out, if it, if it does come out, I think that'll be a really really good conversation because I've got so many questions to ask him, <laughs> just as like a just a general friend and you know yeah. because I was I so I knew him from the year before he came to before he came to City right. and Richards and see how he felt really looking back now at his time there as opposed to how it's just perceived now that he's leaving a legend. So how, anyway, did you, how, how did you well, know him? So he was at Hamburg once before. He was, yeah. So we had a friend in common. We had a, a guy who used to play for United's Academy called Floribert and Galula, who was uh, like best friends with Vincent. So one year we went over to visit him in Hamburg um, and he was playing, I believe, get your head around this, he was playing in Hamburg wearing the number 10, playing <laughs> as an attacking midfielder next to Raphael van der Vaart. <laughs> Just wow. let that sink in. Yeah. Just let that sink in. Yeah. So yeah, that's the Vincent Company, which I knew at the time. Yeah. Oh, good luck because that will be an amazing podcast. Yeah, for sure. So that's anyway. I've meant to say it's so it's Kickback with Naden, and that's um, on every podcasting platform. And oh, yeah. for all the city fans out there, we've got some. We've had Gail Cleachy, Michael Richards, Jolene Lescott, uh, Joe Hart as well. And you know, I think one thing about City is the time from t- two thousand and like. Nine, ten onwards, leading up to winning the league, for as good as they were on the field. I think when you hear the stories of the people, <clears throat> of the people who were there, I think you can pick up a tone of why the dress, why the success was there, and it was really to do with what the dressing room was like. And I think in terms of recruitment, they they made it absolutely spot on, and they set the culture in a way which is which is still reaping the rewards right now. Yeah, yeah, well said. Thank you very much, Nedham. I've kept you for far too long, but that was amazing. So thanks for coming on the show. 
No worries at all, mate. Good to speak to you. Yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, there'll be loads more shows coming up as the new season quickly approaches. So as always, take care, stay safe, and up the blues.